Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I am doing well. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, we're not going to be talking about Diablo today. Figured we'd give Matt a ta- uh, break from talking uh, for you know extended periods of time, although it probably won't stop us from talking for extended periods of time, but we're going to move to questions that you our wonderful listeners have sent in to us. If you have a question for this or any of our shows, be sure to send them into podcasts at blizzardwatch.com. You can go ahead and just specify what show it's for so that we can divide it out and make sure that things uh, go where they're supposed to do. Uh, Hooray for a podcast. (laughs) Uh, If you are a Patreon subscriber, first of all, thank you. And second of all, if you have a question or a topic for the show, you can go ahead and send those in via our Discord channel, which is Patreon Q and Podcast Questions. We tend to look there first as a way of saying thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Uh, and if you can't support us on Patreon and you don't want to send an email, you can also just hit us up on our generic Discord channel for it, which is just Q and Podcast Questions channel. Uh, we understand that not everybody can financially support us, but by listening to us and sharing our content with your friends, leaving reviews when you can, those things do help. So, you know, keep that up as well. Help podcast. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get things started with the very first question. Well met, watchers. I recently returned to WoW and ran Hellfire Citadel for Transmog. I never completed this raid back in Legion, so something came as a surprise to me. Leading up to Gul'dan, Cadgar says he wants the skull of Gul'dan for reasons. Going back to an older podcast, I've never fully trusted Cadgar. There's just something about him that seems ominous, almost like he speaks half-truths. Is there 
ever any light shown on the reasons he would want the skull. Last time someone wanted it, it set forth many pivotal moments for the Warcraft universe. And there's a, a side question, which is coming out of Shadowlands. If you have any interaction between deceased and living characters, what would it have been? And this is from our friend Turkish. So I don't think we've ever been given a reason why Gul'dan wanted the skull. I believe it was originally included as a joke line um, because the you said Gul'dan wanted the skull. Sorry, Khadgar wanted the skull he of wanted, Gul'dan. Gul'dan wanted the skull because it's in his head. Yeah, yeah. it's his skull. He doesn't <laughs> want you to have it. Sorry, thanks, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Khadgar wanted the skull. We have no idea. I think it was more of a, a like I said, a joke or a throwaway thing. Uh, but there is a lot of people that really do believe that Khadgar can't be trusted, and. I mean, I think historically there might be a reason why he speaks half-truths and kind of plays things close to his chest. And it might be uh, the relationship with a, a little little known character of Medivh. Uh, that didn't exactly work out real well for him uh, at all those points. So, but I mean, do you think there was a specific reason, Matt? Do you think that there is any reason why he would particularly want the skull of Gul'dan? I mean, because it's a really effective way to make sure somebody is really dead. Gul'dan is really hard to kill. Yeah, we've and killed him how many times now, now? Now he's in another universe. It's a different Gul'dan. He wants to make sure that fellow is dead, especially after the events of of uh, Rat Warlords. If you've played through Warlords and did the story quests and so forth, Khadgar has lots of beef with, with that Gul'dan. The two of them go at each other pretty aggressively. Um, Gul'dan corrupted his you know assistant. I don't know what to call her. Uh, Coriana Fellstorm there. She wasn't named Fellstorm before, but then she became Fellstorm. Well, listen, so a one friend, at least a friend. Yeah. She was someone who was helping him. Uh, he Goldon corrupts her and, and turns her against him. That's not something, you know, Khadgar is not a forgiving person. Um, <clears throat> it's worth reminding, remembering that when Khadgar found out that his own mentor uh, had was leading the was leading the Legion into our world, um, at least in the form of the orcs, he helped somebody cut the dude's head off. I mean, that's Anduin Lothar, you know, took the sword to, to Medivh with Khadgar's help. So that's worth considering that, that he is just straight up a vengeful guy and he wanted that guy dead. But also, it is fair to say that Khadgar kind of plays things close to the vest. Like, look what happened in Legion when the Legion shows up. He basically backstabs Jaina. Yeah. Straight up, he he form, he basically does a coup on her, takes over the, the, the Council of Tearsfall, uh, makes a deal with the horde that she didn't sign on for as head of the of the council. You know that was not their place to do that. Uh, Antonidas would never have stood for that, uh, and she didn't stand for it either. She left rather than put up with it. But it's definitely something worth considering that he does often think that you know what he thinks is the right course of action is inherently the right course of action. He's sort of used to just assuming he knows best and whatever he says should go. Like if you watch the way he interacts, he's not evil about it. I'm not saying like, I don't think Khadgar is actually an evil person. I don't think he's up to no good. I just think he tends to think, well, if I wait for these people to make the decision that I think they should make, everything will go to hell. So I'm just going to make it now. And he, we'll, you know, they can, they can just lump it. I think there's also an element of, of knowing who to trust, right? Because Every time he trusts somebody or gets close to them, there's a history of betrayal or them being converted into something to be used against him uh, or just not being in a position where anything good happens. So, like, I could see some of that as well. The other thing that I think is is interesting, though, too, is 
he does a lot of research. He's been hanging out in sort of Medivh's house for the last, like, you know, little while. We know for, for a fact he was coming from there when we see him at the beginning of Dragonflight. That's what he tells us, because we ask him, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, fine, fine. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. We've seen him interact with the ghosts of Medivh. We've seen him uh, sort of use uh, Karazhan as his new home and base of operations, because he doesn't really hang out in Dalaran anymore. Uh, And the only cutscenes we've seen recently that don't involve him coming uh, to Orgrimmar or Stormwind to send us on our way is literally there. So the other, the other thing is he, he has essentially access to a magical vault, right? And we know that at one point, uh, Medivh was collecting powerful magical items. We know that it was probably due to Sargeras's influence and all this other stuff, but there is a magical vault below Karazhan. There is some place to keep dangerous items, the skull of Gul'dan is a dangerous item. It could also just be as simple as he wants to lock it away. I mean, look what happened with Illidan, right? Illidan got that skull, sucked out the juice from it at some point, and turned it into Turbo Demon Dad. Like, this is a thing that happened. And the skull of Gul'dan could possibly be another connection with uh, Archimonde or Kil'jaeden, who are still out there. They're not dead. We haven't killed them. They're not. They're not completely gone. He could be trying to maybe do some research and magical uh, inclination to see how do you reverse fell corruption? What does fell corruption actually mean? Is there some way that I can block the signals that are being sent? There's a million things that he could possibly be doing with it. Whether any of them make sense or not, I don't know. It depends on what his ultimate character goal is. And that's the other problem that we have. And I think why people don't trust Kagar to begin with. We don't know what his true motivation is. And we can assume that he wants to be a hero. We can assume that he wants to save Azeroth, at least at the very minimum. That's where he keeps all of his stuff. Uh, we know that he's been the hero in the past, and he's, you know, really put himself on the line before. So there's some sooner that he could do that again. But again, he doesn't exactly tell us. And as Matt pointed out, the whole backstabbing Jaina thing, uh, not being a little bit flighty, not being uh, 100% upfront with everybody, that doesn't. Yeah, Kagar is not, not what you'd call. I don't know how to put this. There's people who are good at the the details of things. Kagar is not one of those details people. No. Kagar is the guy who shows up, uh, tries to get everyone moving in the same direction, and then kind of just sort of, like, even look at him in Dragonflight. Like, his appearances in Dragonflight have been basically, hero, you have to do this. It's like like he feels like having told us to do something is enough in most cases. Um, Sometimes he'll show up and be like, yeah, we're going to defend back here. You go ahead and do the actual stuff. Or, you know, hey, we're going to raid the Vault of the Incarnates. You guys do the actual work. Uh, not necessarily because, I don't know, I don't want, I mean, I realize some of this is game mechanics, but I think a lot of Kagar's personality was forged when he was younger. Mm-hmm. He was very young during the first war. He was just out of apprenticeship and was effectively still in an apprenticeship because they sent him to be apprenticed to Medivh. And that's who finished his training. Having Medivh finish your training is like having. Like one of the, like imagine being a young basketball player and you basically, it's, it's the nineties and they get Michael Jordan to train you, but Michael Jordan is secretly consorting with demons. Mm-hmm. It, it's like that. So on the one hand, I learned really good fundamentals, but on the other hand, I definitely don't necessarily trust anybody because the guy I was like supposed to be able to trust was in fact plotting against me constantly. To the point where like he also, mm-hmm. you know, I also wound up aged up quite considerably as a result of. Uh, the things that were set in motion by said mentor. Like, yeah. 
Chad Gar, like for a while there, he was wandering around as a bearded old man. Mm-hmm. Um, when you first see him back when we get to Burning Crusade, Burning Crusade he's still a bearded old man. Uh, it's not until I think it was just before Warlords, uh, maybe before, yeah, no, around, around Warlords, right? Because that's he's that's the first time he pops up in a while is Warlords. Yeah, he, he is yeah. in Pandaria. So when we first get the the opening to Warlords and we see Cadgar again, he's it seems like he's de-aged himself a bit, but it might be as simple as he shaved. Or it could also know? be it could also be a side effect of him hanging out in Karazhan. We don't know because yeah. technically Karazhan doesn't have any living residents aside from him. And for that matter, we like in the past we've been told that Karazhan is unmoored from time and moving backwards. And, yeah, so there's all sorts of stuff that could be happening. But in general, I don't think Cadgar is. We're never going to find out Cadgar is working for the Legion. He's or you know any other cosmic evil force. But it doesn't mean Cadgar isn't dangerous. Um, the very fact of the matter is Cadgar, and, and the worst part is that sometimes Cadgar makes a big old mistake in his certainty. Uh, if you read the the radio play, or you've listened to it in this case, the radio play that they put out before Legion, where Cadgar and Gul'dan confront each other inside the uh, tomb of Sargeras, mm-hmm. Cadgar loses that. He goes in there half cock thinking, oh, I'll just crush this guy and it'll be over. And he loses. And that's why the Legion came to Azeroth. If he had like taken half a second to, to tell anybody else, hey, this is happening. Come on. We, I need some backup here. He might have come out of that okay and won. But he went in after him one-on-one and he lost. That's the thing. Kagar's certainty sometimes is his biggest weakness. And it leads him to make mistakes in how he treats others. And that can also contribute to that air of menace. You never know with Cadgar. Like, is he, is he being completely upfront or is there something he's holding back or is he currently working on some other plan that he's forgotten to mention until he's like, Oh yes, I had a plan for that. Uh, so yeah, the four reasons bit might be, I mean, obviously in game, it's a joke. Like it is, it is a reference to the original skull of Gul'dan, but in terms of the lore implication of it, it's quite possible that he does have one of the many plans Joe just mentioned and just hasn't mentioned it. Because it's not important to mention it. We don't need to know that. And that's something else to consider always when you're dealing with Khadgar. Yeah, always. Absolutely always. Now, there's a second part of this question, which is, coming out of Shadowlands, if you could have any interaction between a deceased and living characters, what would they be? I have a very obvious answer, at least for me. And it's something that I feel like I really wish we would have gotten, and I'm really mad that we didn't, uh, is having a moment with Varian and Anduin. Because... Anduin stuck around post the events of Shadowlands a little bit in the Shadowlands. We get a moment between him and Sylvanas, but I kind of just really wanted a moment between him and Varian or even like finding and releasing his dad's soul or something along those lines. Um, But because Varian was possibly eradicated by the Yusufel, his soul's probably not in there or at least not even referenced. Like there's no talk about what happened to him. I thought he shows up a little bit in the Anduin fight. No, that's not him. Oh, okay. Who is it? I know uh, that Sorfang shows up. Uh, in the Anduin fight itself. I don't, I think there's like lines of it, but it's echoes of his memory. It's not the same thing. Right. Yeah. So like in the fight itself, the only thing that really shows up and plays a mechanical role and makes sense from the lore perspective is Arthas shows up and not the complete version of Arthas, but 
the soul fragment that was used in the Morn blade, blade that was being used to drive around Anduin, essentially. That's it. But Varian doesn't show up, and Sarfang doesn't show up. It's like you may get quotes or or things that reference some of the things that were said, but it's not the same thing as you know him finding his father and sitting down and you know, am I doing the right thing? Or, you know, his father saying, you are a true and just king, go on. Or, you know, hey, I was once not in control of myself either. Uh, it sucked. And you helped me get through it. And so I know you can get through it. Like, there was no tender moment there. And I think that's the only thing that I really, really wanted out of Shadowlands that I didn't get. I got almost everything else that I wanted. So you, Matt, was there an interaction between two characters living, dead, any combination therein that you wanted out of Shadowlands that we didn't get? Yes, I wanted Olgra and uh, Mankark to meet up. Yeah, that's another surprising one. Yeah, I just, not even like, you know, it would have been funny if like, you know, Mankark was with the Horde forces as they came to like fight in the Shadowlands and there's Olgra as one of the Maldraxxi and, you know, they, they meet up and he's like, Olgra, and she's like, Mankark, and he's like, I, I'm, I'm very... I mourned you. And she's like, I know I, the, the whole thing. Yeah. We, we know about it. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you killed them for me. So like, I would have killed them myself, but there were just so many of them. He's like, yeah, is it, there, there were a lot of them. I had to have this guy over here. Help me. She's like, well, he's helped me here. So, you know, that's fine. And they, you know, they give each other like an orcish punch on the shoulder and then they just move on that. They've both, you know, in their different lives. Like we know Mankirk's dating someone else now, um, which, you know, he's alive. He should. And we know Olga is really into her role as part of the Maldraxxi. So, you know, hey, she's moved on. And just that, you know, just, just a nice just a nice little scene for people, but it doesn't have to be anything tremendous. Uh, another one that I might have kind of liked to see was Garrosh and Grom. Like, I know Garrosh didn't get a chance. Well, then again, they're both dead. See, the thing is, a lot of the meetings I wanted were two dead people. I don't really it, care if two living if a living person had dead it, person. You know what, though? though like, I, think, I think that's fair, though. That's fair game, because there's there's characters that could have those moments in death, right? Because we've seen that. We've seen that the, there are interactions. We've seen that there are, uh, I don't want to say couples, but like not just couples, but there are people that you know, go to the same place and will interact with each other. Um, yeah, we've seen, like, that, for instance... Uh, Lady Vosh has that interaction with uh, Kael'thas' soul when they, they meet up briefly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would just have liked to have seen Gar- Garrosh and Grom have an interaction because they, you know, Garrosh has met a Grom, but he never met his father. And I've, Grom, I don't even know if Grom knew he had a kid. Uh, part know, of me, part of me wanted like Grom to like be part of the Maldroxai and like help us storm the sanctum and free his son for that moment. Like I was kind of like hoping something like that would happen and like just have a moment of recognition between them. Like, like we got with thrall and his mother. It's like, yeah, I instantaneously know you're my son. Come on. Like I'm not dumb. Right. Like, (laughs) and have have Grom go. So you're my kid, huh? Well, all right, let's go. It's time to go play catch something, anything, (laughs) anything. Yeah. I would have been nice for have a little moment, even if it's only like just maybe could have been as simple as Grom helping inspire Garrosh for his final moment. Even if it isn't necessarily the way Grom did it, because Garrosh kills himself in much the same way, even though it's not, you know, he isn't repenting for anything like Grom was, but you know, the the Grom and Garrosh would have been one I'd like, I I would love to have seen Anduin Lothar and Anduin Rin meet because Andrew's never met his namesake or even doesn't really know much about him. 
You know, this is the man you're named after. This is the man who saved your father's life and made it possible for your him to return home at all. If if not for Anduin Rothar, there's no Stormwind. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no anything. Um, and at least in some versions, like you know, in the movie version, uh, Anduin Lothar's sister married uh, Varian's father. That is, in fact, Varian's mother. That makes this guy kind of their uncle. You know, he's an uncle to the to family. He's Varian's uncle. He's uh, Anduin's great uncle. You know, and I just would I would have liked to have seen that. Um, I really feel like Anduin Lothar has been kind of forgotten by the Warcraft franchise. Yeah, you know what? I'll agree with that too. I think I think that Anduin Lothar has largely been I'd, forgotten. Is maybe you know what? No, I will go with forgotten. But like almost well, erased because like it's his not legacy is there. His legacy is there, but it isn't very much taught about or brought up. And I get to a certain degree, I get why now in times of relative peace between the Alliance and the Horde, you might not necessarily want to bring up the dude who did so much and gave so much to stop the Horde. You know, that, that makes sense to me. But during that whole time where we were at war with the Horde and Turalyon came back and was like, yeah, let's go, let's fight the Horde. I am amazed that we didn't hear more about Anduin Lothar. Yeah. You know? And I mean, so I would, I would like to see Andal and Lothar talk to Varian. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like, uh, it wouldn't really bug me to see Andal and Lothar talk to Turalyon and be like, you know, uh, I did what I did to, to save Stormwind and to save our people. But dude, you're, you know, you've kind of given up on a lot and maybe you've given up too much. You know, you're not really even human anymore. Mm-hmm. You and your wife have both kind of traded away your lives to these opposing cosmic forces. I'm just a soldier. I'm not a paladin or a a stalker of the dark or whatever. I'm just a stand up soldier, but man, you know, you gotta be, there's gotta be a reason you do things. You know, there's something that back home, like, you know, life family, you've got that and you're not really using it, but you know, whatever we, we didn't get to see Lothar. Uh, I don't, we ever will. Um, there's definitely some references. There's definitely yeah. some references in. Um, why can I think of the place now that was basically like the roguelike dungeon? Uh, oh, Torghast. Torghast. There was that Torghast like inner vault section that did have references to um, specially selected souls that were part of the private vintage collection of the jailer, um, and there are some that may that that may be uh, references to some of those figures. Uh, mm-hmm. Like a lot of people were thinking that the golden soul was Lothar, um, that it was, you know, pulled aside and like coveted because he knew how much it meant and could be used as a torture device for various possible entities that would, you know, maybe come up to him or, or, or cross his path in the near future. But we never get any confirmation of who they actually were. So, yeah, I mean, so when pe- one person pointed out, I remember a long time ago when I was talking about it with them, they mentioned that, you know, we go in there, we get Uther's shard, and then we leave. And it's like, what about all these other shards? We, like, just left them there. What, was there a reason we didn't just grab everything? Like, you know, they're not that big. <laughs> Put them all in a bag. Let's go. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is something that, you know, I feel like it was a bit of a missed opportunity, but, you know, it happened the way it happened. Yeah. 
All right. So I think we're going to move on to the next question here. And this one comes from Razor Bug. Uh, did it right this time. Thank you. Please note this. Put this in the win column. Uh, I'm back with another hypothetical. So Modern Warcraft is bringing Mythic Plus and raids that can now include members of the Alliance and Horde working together. Fantastic! The lore following BFA has a ceasefire or truce between the two factions. So maybe the Horde and Alliance will be defending Azeroth together going forward about time. But... If a third faction were to come in to continue uh, the war game, something not seen in Azeroth or from the Twisting Nether, a playable new thing straight out of the blue, what would you spitball and how would it work? Matt and I have talked about this in the past, and I, I this is Matt's idea that I think would make the most sense if there was ever a third faction introduced, which is the idea of a mongrel horde, essentially. All these borderline feral races that don't actually exist in any alliance or horde structure and are openly antagonistic to both. Uh, we talk about the Quillbores. We talk about uh, some of the other centaur because now we've met friendly centaur and they're, they're sort of, they're here and they're happy with us. Um, you have all of these disparate races that could start banding together of, you know what, the Alliance and the Horde keep knocking us out of places. This isn't good for us anymore. But, like, we have Shaman, and we know how to control the elements and talk to them, and we can we can do magics and stuff like that. We'll, we'll do that part. You have really good warriors. You could do that part. And you seem to be able to heal people. You could do that part. And let's start coming together and actually, like, interacting as a force to be reckoned with, as opposed to these, like, disparate forces that keep getting run over or just displaced or are just literally subject matter of a go collect 12 feather quest. There's a, there's some potential there. And some of these are, are races that I know players have been asking to play or interact with, uh, in a meaningful way for a while. Um, you know, the idea of playable Fearbolg uh, is something that people have been asking for since I think day one of vanilla. Wow. Like it, it's not, not unheard of, but what do you think, Matt? Do you, do you still like that idea or would you, would you do something else now that we've gotten as much information as we have for a third faction? I mean, I still like the idea, but <clears throat> for one thing, you just used it. Uh, and for another, uh, he asked for something we've never seen before on Azeroth and we've seen all those guys. Fair. So if you want to go with something we've never seen before on Az on Azeroth, Dragonflight has already kind of created the steps for this. Um, <clears throat> if you've done, specifically if you've done Eldamon Legacy of Tear, there's a bunch of stuff in there that you can find. Uh, one of them, I'm going to just read this. It's from, uh, I want to say it's from War. It's from Watcher Parathales. Uh, I don't know if it's Parathales or Parathales or whatever, but that's he's one of them. And here's the thing. I'll just read it straight up. Uh, Prime Designate, I am writing to confirm that the wreckage discovered on our shores was indeed the remains of our most recent expedition to Avaloran. There were no survivors. This makes the third failed attempt to reach that accursed place in the time since I assumed my post. Mm -hmm. While I would not presume to question either your authority or your determination, I pray to the Titans the rumors I hear of a fourth expedition are merely speculation rather than fact. We don't know anything about what Avaloran is, other than it's obviously a reference to Avalon. Uh, which is, you know, the, the Arthurian legends bit. We don't know why they're even trying to get there. Mm -hmm. There's an expedition there, but no, the, nothing in this says it. Um, there's another thing about possible heretics. Uh, Parathalon straight up 
rights people. Uh, straight up here. Let me read this part too. This is more Parathlon. This is straight to Odin, apparently, that he is writing this letter. Uh, he's Odin is the prime designate that he's writing to. It's not Loken, um, who wasn't really ever prime designate, but he set it up so that the systems thought he was. But sure, you can, surely you can see that further pursuit of the heretics is folly. Yes, they must be made to answer for their crimes against uh, Inaria and the other keepers, but their defenses are not to be underestimated. The resources required to breach their lines are simply beyond our current capabilities, at least not without jeopardizing containment of the prisoners in our charges. Although I agree there is a risk in allowing their strength to grow, evidence suggests that the aggressive nature of the heretics will cause them to turn on one another and weaken their resolve. If we can be patient, an opportunity for retribution will present itself. I beseech you, Prime Designate, let the fire of your wrath cool, at least for now, its embers will be rekindled in due time. If not, I fear that I will soon be authoring yet another report of a lost expedition, its final remnants dashed upon rock and wave. With all respect, watch your Peralthes. So we know there's something in this Avaloran place where we don't know where that is. We have no idea where Avaloran is. We don't know who the heretics are other than they're good enough to keep the, the watchers under Odin's command from getting there. The watchers and their, not, not just that, but also their, their forces. Right? Yeah. Whatever, whatever Titan forged that they're sending are getting squashed. Like they're not getting in, they're getting destroyed. They're finding wreckage of their, their expeditions. So that implies a lot of things. It could be like, here's the thing is we only know about history from the perspective of the Titan forged. History we is written know. by the, what is it? Yeah. History is written from the perspective of the victor. Yeah. And it's made worse by the fact that Loken pulled what he did. So we don't even have like the original source material that he had access to. He changed it. He was trying to cover his tracks so that if the Titans ever showed up, he didn't know the Titans couldn't show up. So he was like, if the Titans ever show up and they find, and they check the blogs, I want to make sure this all looks up on the up. So he was changing things. That's the whole reason Tyr grabbed the Dissivan Organon in the first place was to safeguard them so that Loken couldn't edit them. And he ran, you know, th that went down to Oldemon. That's why we find this stuff in Oldemon. The things we find in Oldemon are references to things that Tyr attempted to rescue so that Loken couldn't get rid of them. And that includes like uh, the the very fact that there's letters that Lo that Tyr sent to Loken about the uh, to dragons and the, the, the life pools and so forth. Um, but that's not all there is to this either. There's also another thing about the about the curse of flesh. Let me read this one. This one is another one from a, a watcher. Fellow watchers, when you were assigned to observe the state of our Titanforged subjects who, regretfully, fell under the influence of flesh, the keepers could not have anticipated the efforts necessary to follow them as they spread throughout the world. I shall do my best to ensure your perseverance is recognized, but for now, you are to continue your duties until a new directive is authorized. It is apparent from your reports that the degree of transformation in Titanforge subjects is significantly diverse. There is no group to which this variance is more easily observable than the Earthen. Uh, with some have succumbed entirely to the malady, such as the Earthen who emerged from Eldamon and called themselves dwarves, others remain resistant, whether in full or in part. Our one particularly notable variant can be found in the earthen contingent dispatched to investigate the fissure detected in sector AR-938. For further details, search records related to geological anomalies. Uh, in the course of their duties, these earthen began to manifest behaviors analogous to those that would one day be, appear in their self-styled dwarves despite the two groups being separated by vast swaths of time and distance. In fact, 
based on their origin dates, I could identify no corollary at all between these populations. Yet while their behavior, language, and demeanor show many similarities, for example, assigning sector AR938 to the colloquial name Kaz Algar, physiologically, the two groups remain distant. Uh, is this distinctiveness due to exposure to the unique qualities of the anomaly? Or is there another reason? We require more data before a conclusion can be reached. As ever, your aid in this analysis remains invaluable. Remember, we are the eyes of the Titans, respectively, Watcher Melenia. <clears throat> so there's a group of not dwarves out there somewhere. We have no idea where. We don't know where Kaz Algar is. It's just out there somewhere. Um, now, think about what the implication of these two letters both mean is that there's a group of beings who are sexually defended, descended from the Titans and the Titan forged who don't agree with them or are cut off from them. You could essentially have a group of like, for lack of a better word, anti-Titans who are just opposed to the Titan watchers and have their own agenda for Azeroth show up. And they could, since Joe pointed out that it's not just Titan watchers, but it's the various Titan forged under them being sent on these expeditions. Maybe the ones being sent on the expeditions didn't just get killed. Maybe they joined up. They got all the way to Avaloran and they were like, look, they sent you here to die, but you don't have to die. And so there's a whole bunch of essentially the same peoples. There's, there's their own kind of dwarves, their own kind of humans, maybe their own kind of everybody. But that maybe potentially evolved again differently yeah, because of the different stimuli, right? Yeah. And then maybe like there's obsidian humans. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe there's, you know, who knows? And keep in mind too that like a lot of races on Azeroth are descended from people who've been who've been like uh, meddled with by Titan or Titanforged. Like the Tauren descend from the the, the Yongal. The Yongal were changed by the uh, oh bloody heck Mogu by the Mogu who are Titan forged. Mm -hmm. The Mogu altered the Yongal, so there could be this whole like dark reflection, or not even dark, just like you know you don't have to do stuff just because the Titans say group out there. That and that'd be an interesting third faction because they could come along and start uniting peoples who are not down with the, the standard, what we're being told. So that's, that's something I would work with. I would play around with Avalorin. I would play around with Kaz Algar. I would say, okay, let's take this stuff that's been established and flesh it out. Who are they? What do they want? What are they doing? Who are they following? Someone had to lead them out of there. Mm -hmm. Who is it? Like, is it somebody we've like, who, where did that guy go? And we've never found him, you know, like who, who is it? What's this, going on? And this so, way you have that split faction of like, you can find dwarves and maybe elves and maybe trolls or whatever that are uh -huh. in a, that are in a, we don't want to be involved with literally any of your BS that's going around anywhere else. And if you come here, we are going to, you know, take up our arms and, and do what we got to do. Or maybe it's, they, they realize that, you know, all this bad stuff keeps happening because y'all are just being dumb. So we're just going to get on our boats and row over there or our airships or use whatever Titan technology that we defected with uh, yeah, over all these generations like, and wage war on you. Enough, yeah, they were strong enough that they couldn't be assailed. Like this mm -hmm. guy's begging Odin not to go after them. Maybe after however many thousands of years of being in wherever they are now, they've noticed all this stuff happening and think, you know, it's the Titan. It's because they keep messing around with the Titan stuff and they come and attack Alduar. You know, they're trying to put Odin down and yeah, Odin's think about, now. So and think about that. Think about that. Like Odin is a really good, like thing to hang this on too, right? These were all under his watchful eye. 
These are all where he was sort of in charge of stuff. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, all these people that affected who have had no contact with the outside world uh, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years have to piece together what's going on, but they have their old presumptions. Like Odin becomes the, the person non grata, right? Like they, that's their history with him. That's the, the, the story they pass down from generation to generation where like, Maybe they're all fleshy now and they talk about their ancestors being sent to their death by Odin, the the one-eyed, magma-faced fool who was quick to spend the lives of those under him because he did not value them. He cared not for the lives with which he was condemning. And they grow up with these stories and they have generations of stories. And we talked about this a, a few episodes ago. About how stories morph over time, that that tradition, that the the telling of the story as it iterates changes and becomes different, maybe bigger, maybe more uh, involved. Maybe that dog that was, you know, half the size of a man now is the full size of a man, or maybe it had three heads and maybe it was spitting fire uh, or, you know, maybe that this gigantic lizard that I saw in the desert that was chasing me uh, was all of a sudden spitting fire or, you know, roaring and had gigantic wings over generations and eons of that story evolving. And we saw that a little bit with Suramar, right? Suramar was cut off from the rest of the world in its bubble for thousands of years. And they had no idea what was going on with the outside world. They had no contact with it. They had no involvement. And what did they do? They went to war. They basically wound up working with the Legion. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. There's a lot more, Shades and levels here, folks, but uh, just for the sake of brevity and time. And they were a problem. Like the forces of the Nightborn were not insignificant. The power they wielded were not insignificant. Now imagine an entire continent of people who have been largely left alone. We don't know what havoc has been wrought on them with cataclysm. We don't know what happened over the course of uh, you know, X Did number the Legion of generations. Invade there? Did, the Did the Legion, Legion show up yep. on those continents? Were they fighting demons? And then suddenly the demons just got sucked away and they're like, what was that? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, did did they when the when Kalimdor got destroyed, what effect did that have on the rest of the world? Did it change tides? Did it alter weather patterns? Did the drawing know it moved the planet on its axis? We have no idea. The pot, like they could have plunged half the world into a into a winter that they'd never experienced before. There's mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff you could do with that. Like imagine a bunch of really ticked off Reichel descended humans who are like all like you know a foot taller and just just crazy from like living in like and a frozen wasteland for ten thousands of years show up and they've got like it, you know they've got stone people with them and they've got like really tall dwarves because some earthen are pretty big oh, and yeah. just all this weird stuff and it works and, both ways right it works as a yeah. playable it works as a playable faction and it also works as a villainous faction as well right like it works as something that you could put in that is a story villain um and it works as something that you could have players who don't want to be in the the kumbaya era of of non-aggression pact between the factions anymore join up or sign up or you know, that's why they signed up. They discovered this faction afterwards. Like we have this big conflict. We have this thing where we have to defend ourselves against or defend the rest of Azeroth against the forces of uh, Avalorn. And then at the end of it, like 
folks from the Alliance and Horde are like, you know what? Maybe they have the right idea. I'm going to go over there and defect. Like, there's a lot of ways you could play it, and it could be very, very interesting. And not have to create a thousand new racial assets that would take 10 years to put in game. Yeah, you just basically make you know slightly different skins. Yeah. Something to think about for the future, though, if you uh, at home have an idea of what you would do with that third faction, let us know. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about that. But I think we're going to move on to our next one, unless there's anything else you want to add. No. All right. This one comes from Lorak. Going through the bronze quests again, and Chromie talks about saving Nazdormu. The timeless timelines encompass all possibilities. It didn't grab me before, but this time it struck as a very voidy sentiment. Odds of Chromie opening Pandora's box and actually exposing Nazdormu to the void, infinites are very void colored. We've talked about this a lot, and I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago as well. And I think it gets more complicated every time we we start to talk about it because there's it's sort of on the nose, but there are as many possibilities as there are uh, possibilities for like the Chrome, uh, the bronze dragon flights to begin with and what Chromie could be doing. We do. I think it's safe to assume that something Chromie does is going to play into it because that was definitely a moment that was very much zeroed in, 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 on, in the questing. But I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Do you th- do you think it is Chromie that exposes them to the void? Do we think it's even void, or do we think it's still the idea of maybe there's another timeline that gets pulled into ours where all this stuff comes from? I mean, vo- void is at the same time is simultaneously pretty easy to use in this situation, but also somewhat like as a narrative, do we want more void? Do we, does it have? Does everything always have to be the void? Uh, sometimes you you can reject order without necessarily going into chaos. Uh, if the if the infinites want to reject the order of the titans, it doesn't mean they necessarily want it anarchy. They might just want a different order. So that's one possibility, though. You can't ignore the, the possibility of the void being involved. Another thing is is that uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. What if Chromie decides, you know what, in order for history to play out the way I know it has played out, we there has to be a Murazond. Murzond has to happen. Otherwise, none of this stuff that's already happened can happen. We, we can't have the timeline we've had up to now without Nosdormu in it. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a Nosdormu. So what if she does, in fact, let's assume the Void's involved for the sake of this. What if she does, in fact, open Pandora's box and expose Nosdormu to the Void on purpose to create Murzond in order that everything happens so that she can save Nosdormu? And there's both a Nosdormu and a Murazan. I, I keep making that point. I really keep people keep ignoring this. You can have it all with time travel. Yeah, and, and I think there's something to that too, because there's something I noticed uh, while doing time walking this past week that for whatever reason, after all this time, I completely missed. And I don't know if it is significant or not, but well, it wouldn't it wouldn't be this podcast if we didn't bring up something that's potentially insignificant, um, but we think it is. When you kill Murazond, when you're going through the end times, when you get there, his body doesn't have a body. It turns translucent like it is phasing out of existence. It is the only infinite dragon that we encounter and fight and put down that this happens to. And I think that lends credence to the idea that maybe Chromie 
is doing it all that maybe technically he's not supposed to be here, but is at the same time, a paradox existing for the purposes of making sure the timeline moves forward in the proper direction. I don't know. Do you think that is a significant thing, Matt? Well, I mean, you just reminded me of the fact that the only reason we get to fight him at all is the hourglass of time. Yep. Which is right there. Murzon is coiled around it when we get there. That's no, usually Nosdarmu's got the hourglass of time. This is a different one, but it's the same one. It's just the, the hourglass of time in the future. Or so we thought. Uh, and that's like, he used the hourglass of time to interfere with his own, like with Nosdarmu's attempt to send adventurers to get the dragon soul. So that means he, we had to go fight Murzon before we could go get the dragon soul, which if you think about it, what is, you know, why did he make them do that? Like, how is that something he wanted to have happen? He would have known what would have happened. If Murazond is the future version of Nuzdormu, he would remember what happened when he did this. He lost and he died. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sure, maybe he's crazy and doesn't, or wants to try and overcome his fate. But if you really wanted to overcome his fate, the best thing to do would not to be get in, not to get in the way yeah, we and just- let them take Dragon Soul. We just talked about this with uh, with Nazoth, right? With us yeah. going back in time and essentially giving him all the information he needs to make sure that he doesn't die. If Norsdomu and Murzond are the same entity, why did he let himself die? Also, and here's something that someone pointed out a while back that I had not been thinking about. Remember when Kairos made the Sands of Time? Okay. He used sands of he used some, a few grains of it. To create his vision of time, he used a few grains from the the hourglass of time, but not the main one because he couldn't get it that one. He used the ones from the the end time. They're from this hourglass, the one that we use against Murozond, who was using it against us. Mm-hmm. What if that was the whole point? What if Murazond wanted Kairos to get sand from the hourglass of time in order to create the for lack of a word, to create the timeline that we go to in Warlords so that the Legion comes to Azeroth early and everything from that moment is different than the timeline Murozond came from. So Murozond sets up everything. He, he, was, he dies knowing he'll die, but also knowing that from that point, once Kairos gets the hourglass of time sand and creates the vision of time and goes to that alternate Draenor, things will be different. He will have created a new timeline. He will have effectively punched us off into a different timeway. And he's doing that because of the same reason that the Jailer was so terrified of what was coming. Murzond welcomes what's coming because it's not the void. It's, it's something that will literally break everything and you can't have a new time a new universe until you get rid of the old one what's the old saying we will shatter this clockwork universe if anything the infinites have been revealed as enemies to all of existence by the actions of the jailer we found out exactly how clockwork a universe it is and it's it's significantly more clockwork than we thought it was the first one set a clock in motion they created this this for lack of a better word this orrery of universes, this worlds orbiting worlds, orbiting worlds, each interrelated, each interplaying with each other to make creation. If you want to ruin creation to make a new one, you need to get it going. You need to actually do something. I think that this is what we're looking at with Murozond. I think that Murozond 
took the action he took, knowing he would die, knowing that it would kill him, but it would also change the timeline. It would basically bend the timeway in a completely different direction where the Legion shows up much earlier, which means that the jailer acts much earlier, which means that our world is now square in the path of whatever the thing is that the jailer was afraid of, and it's coming sooner. And from that, Murozond can make a new world. So it's entirely possible that everything that's happening is because it's exactly what Murozond wanted to happen. Yeah, entirely possible. This is how I think about time travel, guys. I'm sorry. Just <laughs> every time, you know, what? But if you're time traveling, you know, it's it's always that way. I mean, time travel is one of those things where when it's done right is very entertaining. And when it's done wrong is very bad. Well, it's- it also depends on if you, some people straight up just don't have the mindset for anti-causal thinking. Fair. They just, they just need cause to follow you know, to proceed effect and they need effect and cause to be related. Like effect has to be caused by cause. If you're willing to say, well, wait a minute, if you're using time travel, this isn't a road anymore. It's a chessboard, and you can go to any square at any time. It's like checkers. Really. It's time. It's essentially you're playing checkers with existence. Um, King me, I, you know, what, you can't do that. This is, you know, if everybody else thinks they're on a road and you're the one hopping from square to square, it, that's incomprehensible to the people on the road. You have to be willing to think like somebody on a big old board who can go to any place. That's like, I mean, of all things, I still remember the end of the second Bill and Ted's uh, movies, the Bill and Ted's bogus journey mm-hmm. perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about in that when Denomalous is like, you know, ah, but I can play those time games too. And they're like, no man, we're the ones who win. So we set up the fake gun just to mess with you. No, we, we, we knew, you know, you, you don't get to do that because we did it first and won. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already stopped you. <laughs> you've, you've effectively, from the moment it occurred to us to do it, we already did it. We already won. So it's that kind of thing is, is what I'm thinking about with Murazond here. How does Murazond get out of it? How does he get around it? And so I think that, I think the void could be involved in it, but I honestly think it's bigger than the void. I think it's the thing that the jailer was scared of, the thing that is like literally more terrifying than the void. Because the void is part of creation. It's one of the six parts. It has a role in existence. Whatever's coming isn't that. Doesn't have a role in existence. Yeah, and we know that there are things that exist outside of existence. Heck, uh, we deal with the the devourers, which are not really a thing that is supposed to technically exist. But yeah, it somehow does. Be, yeah, they're not supposed to be there eating the anima of everything they run into. And not just the anima, but like they'll eat they'll eat the stuff of the material plane too. Because when you go to, um, there's one quest in Shadowlands where you're working with uh, the brokers and they send you to go get something and they send you out of the portals from the Shadowlands into reality and you face some devourers in reality. Like, or yeah, but at you least can make the point that everything in reality is essentially, com- you know, composed oh, for sure. Ultimately. For sure. Absolutely. Um, but I just thought it was interesting. Oh yeah, it absolutely is interesting. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I know, there's so much more we could talk about with that one. We could probably do an entire episode of nothing but, like, infinite dragon flight plans for what's actually going on and if they're playing 4D chess, because they probably are. Yeah, but- and for that matter, I mean, what is Chrome? We've only got, like, a couple of notions of what Chromie is even going to try to do to stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, your idea is certainly not... It's not implausible. It's not a terrible idea. But it could be even weirder. Like, what if she decides to stop everything by literally going back in time and killing herself? 
Yeah, which Nick we talked Cal? to, we talked about that before where um you know, you know, let's talk about that for we got a couple we got a few minutes left and uh I don't think we're going to have time to answer another question in depth, but that's still a thing that hasn't been resolved yet is the murder of Chromie or the attempted murder of Chromie. We had a yeah, whole we, we, we had a whole thing about it. I have a I mean, I had a guess, which my guess was that it was uh uh wow, I literally just said his name. <laughs> Not Murazond? Not Murazond. When did you say his name? Nazdormu. Thank you, Nazdormu. You think Nazdormu's trying to kill her? Possibly. Like, maybe he... Maybe... So, here's the thought, right? If Chromie is the reason that Murazond winds up existing, and Nazdormu knows it, does Nazdormu try to stop it? Because their primary function, again is to keep the timeline moving. But if Chromie isn't, if the infinite Dragonflight isn't part of that equation or isn't supposed to be, because they're literally going through and trying to undo things. We, we go back through the timeline and stop them. That's the whole point. Because if the infinite Dragonflight didn't exist right now, we'd have the discs of Norganon. We'd have tears discs. We'd have his memories already. It wouldn't have been sent back in time or through the timeways because the infinite dragonflight wouldn't exist in order to go do that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait okay. A minute. Go, go, go. Go ahead. The infinite dragonflight has a dissonant organon. Yes, they do. The dissonant organon explain how to make a new. Yes, it does. Body for, for, yeah. Yeah. That could actually be. But if it all is a result of Chromie oh, no, 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 no. doing what Chromie what does, Chromie... I could see that. Here's the thing. We keep, we saw Chromie fighting that other dragon, Eternus. Yep. That dragon was basically Chromie's exact match. Yeah, there's been speculation that Eternus is Chromie. We don't know. Yeah, but like I'm thinking about it in terms of if Chromie sent that the uh, infinites back to get the Dissident Organon so she could make another body from his Dormu and Yeah, there, that's a possible. I had forgotten about that. But if Mur- if, if Norzdomu finds out or figures it out and knows that that's what happens. I've been positing that it could be potentially that he was the one that tried to orchestrate the death of Chromie, or at least trying to remove her off that path. But if he doesn't do that because he thinks Murazond is the future, like I will become Murazond, I will be killed. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't do anything to stop it because he thinks that's the way it's supposed to be. Who might? And who did we see in Kairos's vision struck down? Soradormi. Yeah. She's still alive right now. She is. We deal with her and she's in the primalist future. She's on the other side of the portal. And she's like, yeah. So what if Soradormi found out that something Chromie is going to do is going to create Murazond. It's going to cause her husband's death. And Soradormi is the one that, that sets it in motion. So she tries to stop it by killing Chromie. Oh, 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 because she's in the primalist future. And Soradormi figures out that, uh, that Murazond, doesn't have to exist it doesn't have to be that it is not the true timeline and Nazarmu, whose vision is admittedly cloudy he has made a very big story point of saying that this expansion even since the moment of cataclysm since the moment of putting Deathwing down, he has not been able to see the timeways and possibilities as clear as he used to he can't he gave up his power to do it because he gave up his power to do it. He doesn't have it now. Sordomi is literally in an alternate future is in the primalist future where aside from that one instance of the infinite dragon flight, we don't know what uh, the rest of the world in that potential future looks like, 
But I bet you if the Primalists win, there's no Infinite Dragonflight. Why is there no Infinite Dragonflight there? Is it because they won or because they're not supposed to exist in the first place? And if Sorodomi figures that out and realizes that Chromie is the the accidental reason that, that this is this is Chromie's doing with even with the best intentions, does Sorodomi put the hit on Chromie? I I I I think there's something there. And Matt's gone quiet, which is either I'm a good sign or go. a bad sign. I'm just letting it go, man. I'm not saying anything else. I'm just letting it go. <laughs> just planting seeds. I put the Sword Army thing out there, and I'll let you run with it. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, there, it, it, to me, it makes sense that it's somebody and higher it, up in the in the in the bronze dragonflight that's doing it. And you could do it either way. You don't have it. Like it could be Sword Army just put the hit out on Chromie, or it could be that Chromie has put the hit out on Chromie. Which we've talked Chromie about in the past. Because realizes yeah. that she, you know, she caused Murazon, so she's trying to kill herself before she can do it, you know? Or it could even be that Sora Dormi is trying to kill Chromie to stop Nozdormu from becoming Murazon, which is what causes Nozdormu to become Murazon. I mean, there's lots of possibilities here because it's time travel. You can make it work in lots of different ways. It gets wibbly wobbly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think- but yeah, I think that's, you know, that's actually not bad to think about. Yeah. But I think that's going to do it for today. Unless there's anything else you want to add, Matt. Yes. I really like cheese. I do like cheese as well. It doesn't like it's me. Not only cheese, but I'm, I'm a pretty good. I'm pretty good across multiple brands. I even like Munster. You know, cheese, yeah. a cheese expansion wouldn't be bad. We can talk about that next week. There's a guy in my raid who's constantly talking about cheese. <laughs> and I know that he works at Blizzard. So, hey, buddy, stop talking about cheese <laughs> all the time. All right, folks. Well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means that this podcast sliding community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads reset experience. Again, if you have questions for our podcast or a theme or if there's anything you want us to talk about, even if it's just an entire expansion of cheese, you let us know. Send those in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show it's for. If you want to hit us up on Discord and you're a Patreon subscriber, to go ahead and toss those topics or questions into the Patreon queue and podcast questions channel. And if you can't support us on Patreon and still want to hit us up on Discord, Hit us up in the Q&A podcast questions channel. Again, specify those shows, uh, what show it's for, and yeah, let us know. And as well, no matter where you're listening to us, tell your friends about us. Help us grow. Let's make the community uh, bright and shine and, and share our tinfoil hats about uh, the bronze dragonflight and how Chromie is secretly Chromie's own worst enemy, uh, maybe not so secretly. If you like hearing that stuff, tell your friends about it. We enjoy it. Hopefully they will too. Morozon for podcast. Morozon for podcasts. And we'll see you next week, folks. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.